0: I invite you to open your Bibles this morning to Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20 and verse 13. We're going to study the rest of this chapter together this morning. Uh, I don't know if you've made note of this or not, but we have over the course of the past couple of years at different times, we've revisited Acts and we've been on a journey uh, for a while now. And uh, we will have just eight chapters to go. Uh, next year. And so, of course, we got a couple of unique Sundays coming up. So, of course, Christmas Sunday next week, we will have church. We encourage you to be here. Uh, It will be an abbreviated service, but of course, we're going to meet on Christmas Day, and we are going to reflect upon the greatest story ever told. I jokingly have have messed with Cleve this week and uh, told him we're going to be in Acts chapter 21 next week and just keep going right through Acts. That'll be a great Christmas sermon, um, but uh, he disagreed, and of course, I was just messing with him. We are, of course, going to look at the Christmas story next week, but for this week, we're going to finish up Acts chapter 20. This morning, we encounter Paul's tearful, fare- tearful farewell to the church at Ephesus. It's really an appropriate way to finish this year, looking at this, uh, the conclusion of this ministry at Ephesus. Um, I believe that even the song that our choir just sung is appropriate for what we're looking at this morning, and as they sang about a silent night where it was filled with tears and sorrow and grief and pain, and yet somewhere in that silent night there is peace. And I believe this morning as we look at Acts chapter 20 and this opportunity of grief and sadness for Paul and these folks at Ephesus, uh, certainly this was a tender moment. It was a painful moment. We're going to enter into that with them. You know, this past week, I've had an opportunity to walk through some tender and tearful moments as well with members of our church. You know, as we walk through the Christmas season, you know many of us are reminded of joy. We're reminded of just the opportunity together with family and all of the, the memories that we share together, but there are others that are walking through some difficult moments throughout Christmas. Don't forget that. Uh, people have lost loved ones over the last year, and perhaps this is even the first Christmas they will share without that loved one. It's, it's difficult. It's challenging. As I talk to some of the ladies in our church who are widowed, uh, even some of them many years after the passing of their husband, uh, it's difficult. It's challenging. And uh, don't forget to share those moments uh, with them. Don't forget to pray for them. As Paul enters this tearful moment with the church at Ephesus, he gives us some reminders of how to walk through sorrow with one another, and how that even though there are times of sorrow and grief and pain, we as the church can come together, experience this with one another, encourage one another, and through all of that, we move the work and the ministry of the church forward. Particularly, if you're taking notes this morning, this is what we're going to see in Acts chapter 20. We should share tears together because we are believers who are united in Christ. You know, when you are together in something, you share things with one another. It holds you together. I think about marriage. You know, when you're married to someone, you share a home together. You, you share life together. You share children together, perhaps. You share painful moments and joyful moments. And all of these things hold you together together. So that when you walk through grief together, you encourage each other. Well, the church is a family. We're going to see that this morning. We're going to see how Paul, in a very real way, described the church at Ephesus as a part of his family. And he experienced this pain and this sorrow and this sadness with them, and we have something to learn from what he shares with them. Hopefully you've found Acts chapter 20 by now. I'm going to read verses 36 through 38 if you'll stand and honor the reading of God's word this morning. Paul had given kind of a discourse to the church at Ephesus and it says in verse 36 as he finished that time, it says, after he said this, he knelt down and prayed with all of them. There were many tears shed by everyone. They embraced Paul and kissed him, grieving most of all over his statement that they would never see his face again. And they accompanied him to the ship. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for your word. God, I pray that as it has encouraged my heart this week, I pray that it encourages all of us this morning. I pray that as we Consider together what it means to walk through sorrow with one another. I pray that all of this is encouraging to our fellowship. or that you will remind us that we are indeed a family of faith. God, that you will encourage those in particular who are walking through sorrow even now. And I pray that you will meet them in that grief and remind them that they are not alone. Lord, use your word. Empower your word through your spirit. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can be seated. We've got a lot of ground to cover to finish this chapter, and so we're going to move through four truths this morning, four ways that, that Paul describes how we share grief with each other and really what holds us together even in times of sorrow and grief. The first way that Paul describes this is in verses 13 through 21, and we see that we have a shared work. We share a work With each other. We're bound together in ministry, if you will. Look at verses 13 through 16 with me. In verses 13 through 16, we have Paul's travel itinerary. I'm not going to read all that to you for the sake of Miss Chris, who's doing the interpreting this morning. Lots of uh, places she would have to spell the name out to, but Paul is describing here his itinerary. He is traveling from one place to the next. It's a transition between his conclusion of ministry in Ephesus up in verse 12 down to verse 17. And so I want to pick up reading there, verses 17 and 18. It says, Now from Miletus he sent to Ephesus, and he summoned the elders of the church. When they came to him, he said to them, You know that from the first day I set foot in Asia, how I was with you the whole time. I want you to pay particular attention to verse 18. He says, remember, I was with you the whole time. He says, I'd never left you. And remember this, we work together, church, in faithfulness. This work that we share with one another is a faithful ministry. It means that we walk through good seasons and bad seasons together. Don't forget in Acts chapter 19... When Paul is saying, I was with you through all things at all times, and I never left you, in Acts chapter 19, just a chapter ago, he was in the middle of a riot with them, remember? There was all of this difficulty in the city of Ephesus, and it says there was a riot in the streets, and they drug the disciples into the amphitheater. And Paul says, I was with you. I was with you the whole time. I was faithful, not just in good times, but also in bad times. Church bonds are formed when believers serve together through difficult times. Paul describes his faithfulness even further in verse 19. Would you look at that with me? He says, I was with you the whole time in verse 18, verse 19. He says, serving the Lord with all humility, with tears, and during the trials that came to me through the plots of the Jews. He says this, we work together together even in suffering. He gives them a guarantee almost there. Listen, the suffering I've experienced, as the Apostle Paul, you also are going to experience. And as you suffer with one another, guess what? That's going to bind your hearts together even more. As you walk through pain together, it's going to knit your souls together. I want you to see how Paul describes this suffering in three ways here. First of all, he says in verse 19 that he was serving God. The Lord. Don't read past that too quickly. The only way we will remain faithful in our shared work is if we realize that we are ultimately serving the Lord. We are serving the Lord together, the one who has saved us from the penalty due to us because of our sin. We serve Him and Him alone. He continues and He says, I've served the Lord with all humility. This describes how Paul was able to forsake his personal welfare in the face of great difficulty. He says, I was willing to set aside myself for the sake of others. I was willing to set aside myself for the sake of even my well-being for the sake of yours and the edification of the church. And then finally, this points to that moment of sorrow that's going to come at the end of the chapter. He says, I served you with tears, with tears, Paul described his personal concern for the church and the new converts at Ephesus. Listen, when we think about Paul's tears here, I want you to think in terms of he was leaving behind a very young church. He was leaving behind some believers that were new in their faith. And really what he's pointing to here is the incomplete work of discipleship. He's saying, listen, I am sorrowful as I leave because I know there's more work to be done and I'm not going to be there with you to do it. Listen, that's what keeps us faithful in this work. That's what holds us together. If we even look in this room right now and we consider those among us who are young in their walk with the Lord, listen, that should clench our emotions and hold us fast in this work. Now look at verses 20 and 21. He continues, he says, You know that I did not avoid proclaiming to you anything that was profitable or from teaching you publicly and from house to house. He says, I testified to both Jews and Greeks about repentance toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus. He points to the purpose of this work. And ultimately, we see this. We work together to proclaim the gospel. Our shared work is for a purpose, And he points to everything his life was aimed at here among the Ephesians. He says, I proclaimed the gospel. He even says, I didn't hold anything back. I love that. He says, listen, even the difficult things, I didn't hold it back. He says, I walked through all of the teachings of the scriptures with you. And in other words, we can see in the book of Ephesians, this letter he writes to the church at Ephesus, he confronted their ways of living. He didn't hold anything back. He says, it was for your sake even. He continues and says he proclaimed this truth publicly and from house to house. He, he understood that there was more to gospel ministry than just what happened in the public setting. Understand something, I've, I've said this on occasion. I'm going to take this moment here in scripture to point to this as well. There is more to discipleship than just what happens during this Sunday morning worship service. Disciples are not adequately made just through Sunday morning worship. This should be a culmination of discipleship, I believe, but discipleship really happens in those small settings, those grow groups that we talk about, those Sunday school classes, meeting on Sunday morning. Listen, that's where disciples are made, that intimate setting where we walk through the Word of God together. That's what Paul was pointing to here. Church, when we share this work together, this gospel-centered work, a bond is formed among us. Notice this as we get to verses 22 through 27, though. We also have a shared calling. We have a shared calling. Look closer at verses 22 through 23. He says, and now I'm on my way to Jerusalem. I'm compelled by the Spirit not knowing what I will encounter there, except that in every town the Holy Spirit warns me that chains and afflictions are waiting for me. Paul points to this calling, and from where this calling comes, he says, we are called by the Spirit. We're called by the Holy Spirit. Paul passed along to the Ephesian church leaders his understanding of the Spirit's leading. Now, I know we're Baptists and and we're not Pentecostals and we're not Church of God and we like to minimize the work of the Holy Spirit, but don't miss this. It is the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, the Comforter, the Companion, God Himself in His Spirit moving us forward in this work. Don't minimize that, Paul says. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 4, this letter that Paul wrote to the Ephesian church, he says, there is one body, and guess what? There is one spirit. He continues, just as you were called to, one hope at your calling. In other words, the same spirit that called Paul to this work is the same spirit that calls us to this work as well. Don't miss this as well, though. Our calling does not spare us from difficulty. Notice what Paul said. He says, I'm called by the Spirit of God, no doubt, but yet I know that chains and afflictions are waiting for me. Just because we're called by the Spirit into the work that he has given for us to do, guess what? We still encounter pain, difficulty, and affliction, and Paul wanted this church to know that. But now look at verse 24. He says, but I consider my life of no value to myself. My purpose is to finish my course and the ministry I received from the Lord Jesus, to testify to the gospel of God's grace. In verse 24, Paul points to this. We are called according to our gifts. We're called according to our gifts. I love the way Paul describes this. It's it's subtle. I tried to emphasize it as I read it to you then. But I want to make sure you understand where he says, I've given... My purpose to finish my course. Paul recognizes that the ministry he was given was unique. It was for him to do. And what he tells all of the believers gathered there, and what he tells us today as well, is listen, you are given a purpose, a ministry, according to your giftedness. It's maybe not for you to stand before a congregation and proclaim the word of God. It may not be for you to to even stand among a few people in a Sunday school class and teach. It it may be for you that you serve in the nursery and that is your ministry, your heart for children. I'm going to confess something to you this morning that I joke around with Cherie about, and it's time I come clean about it. She says, Oh no. (laughs) I love kids. I really do. I love children. Obviously, I got five of them. I mean, I got to love them, right? I love my kids. But I jokingly tell her that I don't love other people's kids the same way I love my own. Do you see where I'm headed? Some of y'all are nodding your head because you get it. Because you're not the ones that sign up for the nursery, right? You're the ones that stay. You you stay as far away from that as possible because you look at those kids and you think, man, I I love you, but I don't love you like you're my own. Listen, but there are those in the church today who can go into that nursery And they can sit and rock a baby and love that child just like it's their own. They have that heart. That's what Paul's talking about here. He's saying, I'm given my ministry and my purpose and my calling according to my gifts. So think about that. How has God uniquely gifted you and burdened you for a certain ministry? But he continues. Look with me at verses 25, 26, and 27. He says, and now I know that none of you, among whom I I went about preaching the kingdom, you're never going to see me again, he says. Therefore, I declare to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all of you. I know that sounds strange. We're going to come back to that. Because I did not avoid declaring to you the whole plan of God. His parting words remind them that we are called to do our part. It's not just that we're given unique gifts. It's not just that we're called by one spirit, but we're called then to do our part. We probably missed this reading the letter, but I don't think the people at Ephesus missed this. When Paul said, I'm leaving and you're never going to see me again, what he's saying is, listen, I'm not going to hold your hand anymore. He says, I've been with you. I've been faithful. I've stayed with you every single day, even in difficult times. But guess what? You're not going to see me again. If you remember right at the end of this chapter, we're going to get there. What caused them the greatest amount of grief? His words, you're never going to see me again. This was the moment. This was the aha moment for them as they they listened to him give this speech when he said, you're not going to see me anymore because I'm not going to hold your hand any longer. Listen, verse 26, I told you I'd explain that more carefully. It sounds a little morbid when he says, uh, I'm not responsible for the blood. right? It's not on my hands. What he's talking about here is he's saying, listen, we are responsible to apply the word of God ourselves to our lives. What Paul's saying here is, listen, I've given you the word of God. right? He says, I have proclaimed it to you faithfully. I have handed it off to you. Now it's up to you to apply it. And I'm not responsible for it. This is an important teaching. It's important when we think about success in ministry. It's been a lesson I've had to learn as a young pastor. I'm ultimately not responsible for the way you live your life. And guess what? Those of you who teach in other ways, and you're making disciples, and you, you've invested in the lives of another, guess what? You are ultimately not responsible for the way they live their lives. Just unshackle that burden for a moment. That's liberating. liberating. When you recognize that faithfulness, success, is in proclaiming the word. Being faithful to that task is ultimately what we're responsible for. And that's what Paul says. He says, I can't make you live this life that I've taught to you. You're responsible for it. You've got to do your part in this. Paul elaborates about the church in particular in verses 28 through 31. And we're going to see this. So we had a shared work. We have a shared calling. And thirdly, we have a shared community. A shared community. Look first at verse 28. Paul says this. He says, I want you to be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has appointed you as overseers to shepherd the church of God which he purchased with his own blood. There's a lot to unpack there, but but I want you to pay attention to who Paul is speaking to. Remember at the beginning when Paul sent for people to come to him to hear what he was going to have to say, it says in verse 13, he sent for the elders at the church at Ephesus. So this wasn't everyone he calls out the leaders of this church. This word elder, uh, the closest similarity to this in our modern context would be like a pastor. And so in Ephesus, there was this, this plurality of elders, this, this understanding that there were several pastors serving together and shepherding this church. And so what he's telling them here is, I need you to rightly understand what you're responsible for. But really this is a word for all of us because ultimately Paul is saying the church belongs to God because, in verse 28, the church is blood-bought. The church is blood-bought. He says that this is his church. Why? Because he paid for it with his blood. I'm very encouraged by 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 2. And and some of you, if you've sat in meetings with me before and I've talked with you about the responsibility of a pastor and my understanding of what it means to be a pastor, I point to this verse of Scripture. Listen carefully to what Peter says. He says, shepherd God's flock among you. He's saying, listen, there is a flock that is unique to you as a pastor. And that's what Paul is saying to these Ephesian elders, these pastors at the church at Ephesus. He's saying, this is your flock. I have entrusted it to you, but guess what? Ultimately, it belongs to me. Take this seriously. The church is blood-bought. It belongs to God. But then in verses 29 through 31, he describes a very unfortunate reality. Look at it with me. Paul says, I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Men will rise up even from your own number and distort the truth to lure the disciples into following them. Therefore, be on the alert, remembering that night and day for three years, he points to this faithfulness again, he says, for three years, I never stopped warning each of you with tears. Paul describes here how the church is vulnerable. The church is vulnerable. this imagery of flock comes up again and again. It begins with the ministry of Jesus. When when Jesus even says, my sheep know my voice. And so this, this livestock analogy comes up again and again and again. Why is that? Because sheep are vulnerable to attack. They're not real fast. They're not going to run away very quickly. They're not vicious. They're they're open to attack because they need defending. And that's what Paul commissions the Ephesian elders with here. He says, listen, the church is open to attack. It's open to attack from within and without. I, I want you to slow down and consider this in light of what Paul wrote to Timothy in his two letters there. As you think about these encouraging words, or these warnings, if you will. Remember that Paul also warned Timothy, and guess where Timothy was serving? Timothy was serving in Ephesus. And so when you read 1 and 2 Timothy, Timothy was this, this young, uh, Paul was mentoring this young man in the ministry. He's encouraging him to be faithful at Ephesus, and listen to some of these things he says to him. He says, I want you to beware of false prophets. He says that in First Timothy. And he describes what a false prophet is. And he says, I want you to remain steadfast. Don't move. Be faithful. He tells him, I want you to fight the good fight of the faith. Guess what? He talks to them, he talks to Timothy rather, about church disorder and church conflict. He talks about an orderly way in which the church should operate. Why does he say all of this to Timothy? Because he said it here first when he was talking to him before he left. Timothy stayed Timothy ministered, and these conflicts happened. And so he had to remind them again, remind Timothy. But then I, Revelation chapter 2 points to a very unfortunate reality. These warnings, I don't know if they were just, they fell on deaf ears, or they didn't take it seriously. In Revelation chapter 2, in verses 2, 3, and 4, the fate of the church at Ephesus is described. We read there, I know your works, the Lord says, your labor and your endurance, and that you cannot tolerate evil people. You have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not. So maybe they took this seriously, but he continues, you found them to be liars. I know that you have persevered, you've endured hardships for the sake of my name, and you have not grown weary. So all of these sound like good things. He's writing to the church at Ephesus, he's saying, listen, you've done all of these things good, but then God continues But I have this one thing against you, he says. You have abandoned the love you had at first. Don't you see how this theme within the church at Ephesus just moves throughout the entire New Testament? Beginning here with Paul's warning the church is vulnerable. Be careful, be alert. Someone must not have been alert because these things happened. The church was attacked. And they abandon their first love. This is why division is serious in the church. In the moment of division. It cannot be ignored. Paul explains to the elders at Ephesus why divisive people should be taken seriously. And this must be taken seriously even now. Not for the sake of a person. Not for the sake of power. Not for the sake of position. But for the sake, he says, of the church. Finally, We should be bound together because we have a shared hope. We see that in verses 32 through the end of the chapter. Look closer at verse 32. He says, And now I commit you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you an inheritance among all who are sanctified. Paul wants them to remember that although he is leaving physically, he is leaving something far more precious with them. He says, I am commending all of you to the word of God. Church, our hope is anchored in the word. Paul knew that. And he was telling them, listen, I might be leaving you as an apostle and as a teacher and as a leader, but I am commending to you. In other words, I'm leaving in your hands something far more capable, the word of God. This is why the church should not ebb and flow based upon who is in leadership. This is why the church should not ebb and flow based upon whatever season in which they find themselves. This is why the church should be anchored because we're anchored in the Word of God. Don't forget that Paul most likely wrote in the book of Hebrews that the Word is powerful, that it's sharper than even a two-edged sword. It could divide our souls, he even says. The Word of God is capable He ultimately concludes in verses 33 through 36 that our hope compels an outward focus. Compels an outward focus. In verses 33 through 36, Paul describes his humility. He describes his selfless service and sacrifice, how he even labored uh, for the sake of the gospel there, that he didn't consider his possessions of any value. How was he able to do this? because he understood where his hope really lied, and he wanted them to understand this as well. Listen, we want to make sure that our hope is anchored in what truly lasts, what is eternal, he says. But I want you to step into that tender moment I read about at the beginning. Verses 36, 37, and 38. Paul has finished speaking, and that tender moment of farewell has come. It says in verse 36 that he prayed with them. Verse 37, it says he shared tears with them. He wept with them. In verse 38, it says he followed through with departing from them. Don't miss the tenderness of this moment. Don't read past this because it was a big deal for Paul. It was a big deal for Luke who was writing this and recording this, the details of this tear-filled farewell. And so I want us to understand it as well. He walked through sorrow with them because he shared some things with them. They were a part of a family together. Listen, as brothers and sisters in Christ, we should be sensitive to tender moments just like this. It may not be a tender farewell. It may not be saying goodbye to someone who's going to go to the mission field or move away from home for a while. But it might be a tender moment where someone has walked through the passing of a loved one. It might be a tender moment where there's been a wayward child and this person in our fellowship is grieved because of that. It might be because of a wayward spouse who will not believe and accept the truth of the gospel. It might be because of a diagnosis or a health issue, maybe financial hardships, whatever it is. Listen, we have to take seriously walking through these tender moments together because that's what we share together. And that's why we're a family. These moments are an opportunity for us to be reminded of our bond with one another. I opened up talking about this particular Christmas season, how there are those in our faith family who are walking through their first Christmas without a loved one. There are those in our faith family whose loved ones are in the hospital right now and and don't have great prospects of being at home during Christmas. That's hard. Don't miss out on the opportunity to walk with them through that and encourage them. You may not be eloquent like Paul, and that's okay, but you can anchor their hope in the gospel. You can remind them of our fellowship and ultimately point them to this. It's going to be on the screen, Revelation chapter 21 and verses 1 through 4. I love this. Most likely, the church at Ephesus received this letter too. They didn't just get that little part where they were told, you abandon your first love. No, if they listened a little further, they read this as well. Revelation 21, 1 through 4, John writes, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. I also saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared like a bride adorned for her husband. And then I heard a loud voice from the throne. Look, God's dwelling is with humanity. Emmanuel, God with us. Don't forget that. He will live with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and will be their God. Listen, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Grief, crying, and pain will be no more because the previous things have passed away. That's a hope we can share with each other. So two questions I want to leave with you. Two things I want you to consider as we sing in just a moment. And take this seriously because I told you, don't rush past these tender moments. The first question is this. Are you walking through a season of immense grief now? Uh, Maybe these reminders that I've offered throughout this sermon have met you right where you are, and it's difficult, and it's painful, and it's hard. Be encouraged by these truths, that we share in this with you, that as you are anchoring your hope in our Lord Jesus Christ, we're with you. We are one family, united by our belief in Christ. But secondly, and this is a challenge for every one of us, who are you sharing tears with now? Who are you speeding past and and forgetting that they're walking through sorrow? Who have you missed in your own life? As church family, lean into encouraging them. Share tears with them. Remind them that we're together. Let me pray with you.